I call this the number one law in personal growth. People can never rise above the opinion of themselves. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Well, if you're in the UK, I hope you had an absolutely wonderful four-day weekend for the Queen's Jubilee. There were parties going on in my area. It was such fun. And I hope you did too. And if you're elsewhere in the world, I hope you had a lovely, lovely weekend. I have a treat for you today. We are going to be talking all about personal growth, which is one of my favorite topic areas because you can never really outperform your self-image. And many people struggle with this. They kind of get some success in whatever area of life they're looking at, whether that's relationships, whether that's um, financial or whether it is with body composition, for example. But often they kind of go back to their original set point. And this can be one of the most challenging things to overcome. And it's probably the most exciting part of the coaching that I do with clients. And the reason that they stay with me is to get this transformation. But the thing is, you're not just done with it when you get there. The exciting thing is that there's so many levels that you can go and you can really just grow and grow and transcend higher and higher and life just gets better and better. And so I'm really excited because I am sitting down having a chat today with Peter Sage. Now, Peter Sage is an international serial entrepreneur and subject matter expert in human behavior and self-mastery. He has a unique way of looking at the world that has earned him the Distinguished Brand Laureate Award for extraordinary individuals alongside previous winners who include Nelson Mandela, Steve Jobs and Cristiano Ronaldo. He is a six times TEDx speaker with multiple best-selling books that have sold over 150,000 copies in several languages and he's founded multiple eight-figure companies and raised over a million dollars for various charities and he's now 100% committed as always to sharing his vast knowledge and experience in a way that really allows others to lead an extraordinary life like he does. And you're going to absolutely love this episode. I think his book, um, one of his books that I've read, The Inside Track is absolutely brilliant. Um, I highly recommend going over to Amazon and picking up a copy. It talks all about his unbelievable experience really in Pentonville prison and how he uses that experience. Like so many people would go to pieces, right? If they were in one of the toughest prisons in the UK for six months, but Peter doesn't. He actually starts to create transformations in the prisoners that are there. And it's just an extraordinary story. If you're looking to really upgrade your mindset and personal growth, then I definitely recommend go and check out Peter's book, but also listen to this episode because you're going to get so much from it. Now, as always, the show notes are over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com, and you can also download the transcript there and find out all the links to be able to connect with Peter as well. But without further delay, let me introduce you now to Peter Sage. So I'm excited to be joined today by Peter Sage, who is an expert in human behavior and an all-round creative guy. We've just been chatting before the show, and I think this is going to have so many nuggets in this episode. First of all, Peter, a very warm welcome to the show. Great to be here. Really, really looking forward to our chat. Yeah, me too. So first of all, let's start, obviously, because you are an expert in human behavior. How did you come to this? Please just introduce yourself for listeners, really, um, and how you've come to specialize this. I know you help hundreds, if not thousands of people across the world in this area. But how did you get into human behavior? Well, it's uh, it really is a progression of my journey. You know, I dropped out of school at 16. I've got no formal qualifications. I never suffered the disadvantage of college. And, you know, when I go to... Uh, my early career as an entrepreneur, I was desperately trying to prove to the world that I was good enough. It was all about covering up insecurities as a young man. It was all about, you know, really trying to fight the the inner lack of self-worth by overachieving in the outer world and then wonder why you get to the top of success mountain and, and want to jump off. So for me, it was like I, I'd understood personal development. That was probably the biggest benefit for me. You know, I found personal development when I was 17. I'm like, wow, there's an industry that teaches you how to be successful. Where was that in school? <laughs> That's what I wanted to learn, not the periodic table. Uh, and so I was using personal growth for the first part of my career till my sort of mid-20s to kind of achieve. But I wasn't happy. I was frustrated. 
I, you know, yeah, I was buying Ferraris and flying Concorde and, you know, doing all the stuff that, you know, my schoolmates thought I was like super guy with, but you know, I, underneath, I still felt this ape, this like imposter syndrome. Uh, and so I started looking at uh, other people in, in the area that were, had achieved half as much, but were twice as happy. And people that were still playing the game, you know, people that were worth $700 million that were depressed because they weren't a billionaire. Yeah, thinking that that would solve the problem. So it, it really started shifting my interest, my passion into trying to figure out this crazy thing in the mirror yeah, called us. And you know, what are the layers of the onion that so many people don't peel back? They're too busy working on the surface stuff, the symptoms, and don't understand the cause. You know, why do intelligent people procrastinate? It's not because of lack of knowledge. You know, why do successful people self-sabotage? It's, you know, why do we know what to do? And we don't do what we know. So it was that area that really called me to, to wanting to figure out something. If I could figure out that, then, yeah, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life trying to, again, get to the top of Success Mountain and yeah, complain at the view. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, I think you're very lucky to have found it at 17 because I think a lot of people actually come to this uh, later in life. And it's really interesting, uh, like clients of mine who are very, very successful entrepreneurs themselves will often say that they found personal development at a very young age, or they were lucky enough to be introduced to even by to into it by their parents as teenagers, right? Which I think is a real gift. Um, when you say, so initially, obviously you had very um, successful, you're very successful in terms of attracting lots and lots of wealth. Um, do you, how much of that would you credit to the work you've done internally on your self-development? in terms of that projecting then as outward success? Because I think this is often a bit that people get confused about. The results that show up for us really, I find, are as a result of the inner work that we've done and the progress we've made and the person we've become. Um, would you say that looking at that stage in your 20s when you had all these attributes of wealth, that compared to your peer group at that age, you had progressed in terms of your self-development much further than them? 100%. Again, I, I, I didn't have any academic skills. I was never that bright at school. Uh, that, that wasn't a path that I could walk. But when I, I found personal growth, I, I really threw my, my hat in the ring. I was like, every spare pound I had, I, I bought another tape. Yeah, I'd be driving in my mini. I wouldn't be listening to the radio. I'd be listening to you know, Napoleon Hill. I'd be listening to Tony Robbins. I'd be, you know, I'd be uh, trying to, I was a sponge. And again, it's about what is your outcome? At that point, my outcome was to be what I thought was successful, which was measured in you know, wealth. The challenge is that you know, up until I was 25, that was a hamster wheel that was you know, very unfulfilling. In fact, you know, to uh, a quote that I uh, often uh, use is, you know, I was so poor, all I had was money. Mm. Yeah, you hadn't done. Probably heard the buzzword, metabolic flexibility. That is the ability of your body to burn carbs and fats on demand. You may have even been playing around with devices like continuous blood glucose monitors or something like the Lumen device, or even trying to use intermittent fasting or a keto diet to transition into more of a fat burning state. But the thing is, you don't want to always be in a fat burning state. You want to develop what's known as metabolic flexibility because if you're always down regulating calories or food groups or being in a ketogenic state all the time, what can happen is you can end up down regulating your thyroid function and your metabolism and so metabolic flexibility which is the ability of your body to burn carbs and fats on demand is really king it's also the thing that helps to give you the leaner healthier body composition more energy less blood blood sugar spikes and crashes which means less cravings less energy highs and lows and better longevity and that's why i'm so excited that that is the topic for this month in my membership the female biohacker collective all month in june we're going to be talking about metabolic flexibility and if you have devices like lumen or cgms or data that you're looking at that you don't know how to interpret my team and i are going to be there supporting you every step of the way there's also a deep dive masterclass all about metabolic flexibility and how to create it and live q a calls and a seven day challenge so if you're not a member yet all you need to do is head over to bit.ly forward slash female hyphen biohacker that's bit.ly forward slash female hyphen biohacker and sign up so that you can join in this month's metabolic flexibility challenge and be supported by not just me and my team but a community of other like-minded women now let's get back to the show 
I suppose, did you find that your relationships, your health was suffering or yeah. it was? Yeah. Yeah. Because I was so committed to chasing yeah, the, the, the material side on you know, building. I thought, you know, when I make my first million, I'll be happy. And of course, you know, early twenties, I make my first million and, and I'm not happy. And I try to figure out why, well, at least I'm happy for a, a week or two because I'm now not running towards a milestone that I'm trying to validate myself with. But then I get there and I'm like, why, why do I not feel uh, happy anymore. It's like, oh, well, of course, I need 2 million in case I lose the first. That was it. And then you two businesses, three businesses, five businesses. Now I'm working 130 to 133 hours a week, falling asleep at traffic lights, yawning for a living, uh, no life, no relationship. Yeah. I'm, I'm the only time I can get to the gym is 5 a.m. It's, yeah, it was not a, a sustainable lifestyle. And, and that was a big realization for me because a lot of people play that game and, until the end. Yeah, I think they do until until effectively they hit a health issue like I did. You know, I did as a as a young lawyer, I was working very similar hours to that. And it's amazing how long you'll go on for. But I think in your 20s, there is an element you're so young that you can kind of get away with anything. Whereas you try to. Yeah, you do. And you feel invincible as well, which makes a really big difference. Right. It's it's uh, uh, that makes I think the mind, you know, body connection is really, really powerful there. It's interesting because you mentioned there about self-worth. You didn't have the feeling that you were successful at school and that you were trying to prove things. Self-worth is something that I'd like to just spend a little bit of time on because I think sure. this is an area for a lot of people where often when they're not achieving in one area of their life, I find that they don't feel that they're deserving of true success in that area. And you'll see it with people, you know, if they're a certain weight, for example, and they've always struggled, say, with being a bit overweight, it will be like, well, I've always been overweight. My family's always been overweight. There are these kind of paradigms and beliefs that we hold that actually really hold us back because the truth is anyone can get into incredible shape, but you've got to have the mindset. We can teach you the nutrition, the fitness, et cetera, as you know, but it's really what's going on within that's going to control the outward results on a, on a long-term basis. How was that? Because for you, Although you had struggled at school, it obviously wasn't mirroring for you that you didn't feel you deserved wealth. You, you, that, that was happening for you. And it's just interesting when we look at self-worth, I'd just like to kind of understand from you how you see it. Because I know you help a lot of people in this area in terms of developing it as well. Yeah, so self-worth is you know, a huge issue. And as you mentioned, people can learn all the skills, but one of the biggest travesties of human potential is that people confuse knowledge mastery uh, for self-mastery. And knowledge mastery is simply going to give you more skills with which to have a variety of experiencing the same life. So yeah, it doesn't change behavior. So in order to address things like self-worth, there's many different patterns. For example, a lot of people in modern society have been conditioned to attach their self-worth to their net worth. So if they don't have a lot of money, they feel you know, less than, or certainly in a comparison frame to somebody they perceive who has more. And as a result of that, they have low self-esteem and at low self-esteem, you're not going to generate wealth because wealth is a byproduct of you adding value. And if there's not enough of you showing up to add value, then you're on that hamster wheel. There's also the aspect where you, know, you, you talk about emotions of things like guilt. <clears throat> guilt is a, a, it's, the, it's the cancer of human emotions. Why? Because it's the, it's the one emotion where you stand alone. It's you against the world. It's you judging yourself. And so when it comes to guilt, guilt has a natural predisposition to lead to a sense of uh, uh, crying out for some level of reconciliation through retribution. It's like, I've done something bad. I feel guilty about it. There's an unconscious need to attract some level of punishment, uh, penalty, what have you. And that places an entire energy of undeserving around somebody. And we see you know, guilt in so many different areas from you know, conditioned from uh, authority figures to you know, unrealistic levels of expectation you've set on yourself or something that you misperceive to have done to somebody else and think that you, know, you need their um, okayness about that in order to let go of your own you know, prejudgments. I mean, I, it's, it's an area I could, I could go on for quite a while with. But self-worth and self-image if you want to see an area people absolutely destroy themselves, I think it has to be that. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think one of the hardest exercises actually is for people when they want to create that self-image. Sometimes when I'll have a conversation with, you know, members in my programs with new clients, for example, initially it's like, well, who is that best version of you? Like, who do you want to step into? I think people can really struggle with this almost in the beginning, right? Of actually thinking, well, 
yeah, who is that actually? Because it's almost like, um, so yeah. when, we, when, we're, when we're talking about self-worth and self-image, I think people can find this a really difficult thing um, because first of all, you have to become that person in your mind before you can create it in reality, right? So it's, it's like you were saying, if you want to be really, really successful in your business, you're going to have to show up and actually be there more and create more impact because your wealth is a reflection of how much impact you're creating in the world, for example. Now to do this, people, and it's the same when you've got a health goal, for example, if you've got some kind of athletic feet, which I know you have one coming up that you've got to master. You've really got to step into that identity as somebody who, who shows up and does the training and commits in all weathers or no matter how tired they are and really has that mindset. And so part of achieving goals really, and this is why I think people who are very successful enjoy them so much is the personal growth that comes within it or becomes alongside it. And as part of it, in the book um, by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, he talks in detail, but there, there are obviously the 13 principles, but he talks in detail about the power of auto-suggestion and uh, using things like affirmations to reprogram. Now, I was just curious, when you were working on your own self-development and you were on this journey, uh, and you've now obviously come a long way from there, how much were you using and how much do you use with your clients the power of auto-suggestion? It's, it's critical. I mean, we have so much power in the non-physical and most people are, are too busy running around in, in the, uh, the, the level that I call by me. You know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen by me. It's the frustrated achiever mode where you're trying to force the world to fit your pictures and you know, work too many hours and you know, make all the phone calls and, and basically you know, hustle. Uh, and then you're swimming upstream against the current of life. Whereas what I teach people now, my, my entire philosophy and, and structure of how I coach is all about getting people into what I call the level of through me, where you're flowing with the current uh, of the river of life. And that's, a, that's a, a very different way of being able to work with metaphysical or non-physical principles, which most people aren't clued into because they just don't understand that there's no mainstream level of you know, working with things like auto-suggestion. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think, okay, I'll do affirmations, but affirmations don't really do anything if your heart and your mind aren't aligned. If you've got any kind of self-doubt, you're basically putting lipstick on a, on a pig. It's, it's not going to change the, you know, the, the outcome of the essence of what it is. So for me, programming is a result predominantly of two things. It comes down to your um, environment, you know, and your own sense of self-belief, self-image about who you are, what you're worth. Now we covered one, but let's look at environment for a second. Who do you surround yourself with? Your peer group is so much of a factor and how you allow yourself to be programmed in your environment is so much of a factor. Most people just don't really understand. Yeah, classic example of the last two years with you know, kind of project fear or whatever you want to call it. You know, I call it COVID. You, know, you have a, a situation where if you're watching the media, you're programmed. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I haven't seen a news report. I haven't watched media. I haven't read a newspaper for 20 years. I have no clue what's going on in the world. I've got every clue what's going on in my world and my world works. Why? Because I know how my, my brain works. I know how evolution has set up the, the human experience using the reticular activating system of the brain, using the amygdala of the brain, and how it's hijacked for nefarious agendas by people that don't have your best interests at heart. And so being able to stay positive, being able to stay you know, on track, being able to be committed to something for the right reasons, not because you want to prove to mom and dad you're good enough. Yeah, not because you want to you know, go show you, you, your friends that yeah, uh, you can be better than them, not because you're coming from insecurity like I was in my early days, but because there's an expression of who you are. It's why you were born here. You, you're starring as the star in your own movie rather than as most people do, which is give up that power and end up being an unpaid film extra in everybody else's. So for, for being able to create an environment, that is absolutely key. Why? Conformity. Now, there's a reason that the, the most congruent statistic historically is that 5% of people reach retirement age in any kind of shape, financially, emotionally, spiritually, or otherwise. 5% of people in the world own the world. Why? They hang around with the other 5%. It's, you know, if you hang around with nine recreational drug users, I've got news for you. You're probably going to become the 10th. Yeah, it's, we're programmed to conform to our environment. 
So rather than try to swim upstream against that current, why not use it in your favor? If you're hanging around with people that have low self-esteem, I don't care how great you are walking into that environment. Over time, environment wins. You know, I could teach you how to uh, run on the spot, you know, wear warm clothes, make and drink warm soup. But if you live in a freezer, over time, it's going to win. Yeah, so conformity at that level is something very few people question, and they idly put on the news thinking, oh, or, you know, some other you know, uh, soap opera and drama, and then wonder why their life is a soap opera or drama. <laughs> yeah? Hang around and be very careful how you get programmed, because the reality, Angela, is that we don't get to vote on whether or not we get programmed. We only get to vote on how we want to be programmed. That's just the nature of imprinting as humans. So if you have, uh, if you think you're using your conscious mind to say, well, I'll, I'll read the newspaper, but I'm ignoring the bad stuff. It doesn't work that way. You know, if you're at a party and you've got 10 conversations going on around you and you're in a one-to-one -one, you know, conversation with somebody that you're really having a connection with and somebody three conversations away mentions your name in the middle of this conversation, you're oh, hang on, someone mentioned my name. Your unconscious, your reticular activating system, part of your brain is scanning and absorbing everything. And if it's relevant to you, it'll walk it into your conscious awareness. Now, what that means is that you, know, you are absorbing everything in your environment, every conversation that's within earshot. You know, when you open a newspaper or a magazine on an article, it's all had this happen. You, let's say there's four columns of text. At some point, very quickly, you'll be just drawn to one particular part of that article. It happens to be relevant to you. Why? Because your unconscious has already scanned the entire thing, processed it, and pulled your conscious awareness to a certain point. And you think you can circumvent that by saying, oh, no, I'll just choose what news articles to read or tune out if it's not positive. Or I'll, I'll put up with my spouse or my partner or my, my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my, my friend who's really negative because I just ignore them. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's, uh, it's just part of how we're wired. Make sense? Oh, totally. And I say this, you know, to my clients, because I think the, the power of engaging the reticular activation system is so, so critical, because as you say, it frames your entire world. It's going to show you what's important. And it really only has a few filters. You know, one is uh, if, if, if your name is mentioned, as you say. The second one is if your safety is being threatened in any way. The third one is if your partner looks at you and wants a bit of nookie, because that, again, is crucial to survival and procreation. And then the fourth is what you determine is important, right? So you have to determine what's important in your life, in your conscious area, so that that then alerts your subconscious to start bringing you the life, the experiences and the things that you want to look at, right? I think the difficulty people have is that maybe they, uh, and this is where I feel this is a misstep for people. I don't know if you found this, is they forget that they need to do that programming outside. So the conscious mind has to tell the subconscious what it wants outside of that situation. So if we take, for example, like creating healthy behavior habits, the point at which you've got your, your spoon, your hand halfway through a tub of ice cream is too late, right? Because the subconscious programming tells you that when you feel down or you've had a really bad week and it's Friday night and there's a movie on that you're going to treat yourself in this way, then of course the guilt, as you say, which is the, one of the lowest vibrations in terms of energy, comes later. But actually the programming and the environment and the people you mix with and all of those things had to happen outside. I think it's... Um, but I think when we look at that, that programming, what would you say to people? So if they're trying to create this self-image, this identity, because effectively what got you here isn't going to get you there, how can they go about doing that? Because you mentioned that you think affirmations are useless, which they are unless you're really connected, right? It's the feeling. You've got to believe it. There's no point in saying, I am lean and fit and athletic if actually your subconscious is mind going, no, you're not. You're five stone overweight. <laughs> you feel terrible. You don't sleep well at night and you always end up eating all the biscuits or whatever it is. How can we get that programming to actually physically happen? It's about setting yourself up to win. The first thing is intention. What is it that I actually want? Yeah, let's get some clarity. Clarity, clarity gives power. Where is it that I want to go? The second step is actually to be okay with where you're at. And this is where a lot of people struggle because a lot of people resist where they're at. And the, the metaphor I like to give is that, is that of an art gallery. See, if you walk into an art gallery and you walk into a room where there's a certain artist and you find that artist offensive, 
you don't like your current bank statement on the wall, your current reflection in the mirror, your current, you know, you know, uh, whatever it may be, relationship. And you have no right to call the curator and say, I demand you take this artwork off the wall. It's offensive. It's upsetting. You're going to get thrown out of the gallery. Yeah, we're all guests in this world. You have every right to choose to walk into a new room. And the challenge is that complaining about your current circumstances really is the glue that keeps you tied to them. Yeah, if you resist being fat, you're going to stay being fat. When you're finally okay with, hey, this is where I'm at, and I'm okay with where I'm at, I can choose to be thin. Now let's go walk that path rather than stay unhappy that I'm where I'm at. So getting okay to where you are, for whatever reason it served you at whatever level, conscious or unconscious, even if it's a level of reference for what you don't want, come to terms with it, thank it, have gratitude for it, and then say, okay, today I'm going to start walking into a different room. I'm going to choose what I want. You see, if, if I, you don't look at a six-year-old and complain that it's an imperfect teenager. You don't look at an acorn and say it's an imperfect oak tree. A lot of people look at their empty bank balance and complain it's, a, yeah, it's not a full one. No, it's a perfect example of what it is, an empty bank balance. Okay, let's get to that level of acceptance, understanding, and now move on to take steps is what is required to fill it up. But if you're walking around fighting reality, I've got news for you. It's probably going to win. I often get asked, what is my favorite supplement that I take year round with no exception? And it has to be magnesium. And that is Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizer specifically, because it has seven different forms of magnesium. And you don't really know which ones you're deficient in. It is literally like Zen in a bottle. It helps you sleep. It helps to reduce stress levels and make you feel more relaxed and at peace. And it helps to boost your immune system, helps to regulate heart rhythm, and also contributes to building strong, bones i absolutely love bioptimizers magnesium and the great news is is you can get a cool 10 percent off by going over to bioptimizers.com forward slash angela and entering code angela 10 at checkout that's bioptimizers.com forward slash angela and entering code angela 10 at checkout and if you're here in the uk just head over to bioptimizers.uk forward slash angela with the same cooper code angela 10 at checkout now let's get back to the show why would you say that though? Because that is, I, I agree with you, that is the case. And I, but I think that your vibration at that point is matching the person with the, in, the sub, suboptimal bank balance, shall we put it that way, or the suboptimal body, right? But it's very difficult sometimes for people to transcend that and actually step in because effectively what you're doing them, I actually think for, for, for many people when they're creating something new, right? And we, we need to be growing all the time, right? Otherwise we're effectively dying. The first one is what do I really want? People actually really struggle with. I find free journaling can sometimes help with that, but people do struggle. And I think because to really create what you want, you first of all have to give yourself permission to dream. And so many people lost sight of that in school because they were told off for daydreaming and looking out the window and all this. You know, you believe as a young child you can have anything and then you kind of get conditioned actually you know, this is your lane, stay within it type thing, or that you might have some success, but often people will, you know, they might get a big bonus, but then actually they spend it. So net net, they're coming back to the same because they keep writing themselves into this situation. So I think the first question, how would you, let, let's start there because I think they've got to get that clarity because you can't even get off the first block unless you know what you want. How have you found is the best way to help people develop that and understand, well, what do I really want? How can they do that? It's <clears throat> two things. Although to, to start with, let, let, let's put it on the foundation to sum up uh, everything you said there. And I, I call this the number one law in personal growth. People can never rise above the opinion of themselves. Mm, I agree. Yeah, period. So if it comes to you know, being able to understand that and then say, okay, what do I want to do about it? While clarity about what you want is clearly important, it pales into a second place as to why you want it. Now, a lot of reasons why people get demotivated is because their why is not big enough. And I don't mean in terms of like lots and lots of reasons. I'm talking about the difference between being egocentric, covering up levels of insecurity versus having some level of yeah, contribution or growth and contribution behind it. See, the reason most people are so stressed is they're too focused on themselves. 
just part of the game. So if you say, okay, why do I want to, why do I want to do this? Take another health example. You take marathon runners, people that have run running marathon for the first time. Let's not talk about the crazies that do it every year or for fun, but are at that level of identity and and reference people doing a marathon. It's not a lot of people's goals in the, in the one day I'd like to department. So if you're going to run a marathon, you just focus on the people the first time, the ones that actually make it to the end rather than quit. And I don't mean quit during the race. Way more people quit before the race. I'm talking about what what gets people to the end. And you study the people that are first timers. You will find a huge um, correlation between those that are running for a cause that is bigger than them, a reason that is bigger than them, raising money for a charity they're passionate about or a, a, a family member who's suffering or in memory of or whatever it is, something that means more than their own pain. And so if you really want to be inspired about what it is you want, because inspiration is the nuclear fission of the human soul, motivation has a time limit. You're going to have to keep topping up the tank. So if you want to be inspired, then you know, with your why, don't make it about what you want to get. Oh, I want to get enough money to pay my bills. Well, then you're going to get probably enough money to pay your bills and, and, and be unhappy. But if you're like, oh, no, I, I want to be an example for what's possible for other people. You know, I'm 250 pounds, you know, uh, uh, which is you know, 100 pounds overweight. And I don't want to lose 150 pounds. Or I don't want to lose 50 pounds, sorry, for, you know, uh, so that I can look good. Uh, and yeah, and poor the girls. I want to lose fifty pounds so I can inspire other people that are overweight and given up that it's still possible at my age, for example. Yet yeah, now you've got a different focus. Now your focus is more, you know, uh, outer centric than egocentric, and uh, and now you you've got something. Yeah, that this part there's a magic, there's a spark, there's a demeanor, there's a reason, there's a cause. Uh, and so, yeah, from from my side, that's probably the you know, the, the the biggest way to to start. We all know what it is we don't want. That's easy. But you know, don't spend too much time in that room in the art gallery because yeah, it's not going to serve you. Yeah. Choose what it is that you do want. Don't filter it. And here's another uh, big issue that I see a lot when it comes to goal setting. For a start, goal setting it's a little, yeah, has its basis in a little bit of the, the, the Americanism from you know, being able to move forward. And, and, and Brits tend to be a little bit more, yeah, that's uh, yeah, uh, a little more reserved. But goal setting, a lot of people tend to resist because it's usually what we feel somebody else's imposition of what we should be yeah, being put onto us. You know, you've got to set better goals. You've got to do this again. goes back to, to school. So if you reframe goal setting, I have two organizing principles when it comes to goals. One is, hey, if I've got any idea how I can achieve the goal you know, I set, when I set it, it's too small. See, a lot of people set goals they think they know how to achieve. Well, where's the room for the magic? Where's the room to be inspired? I'm not going to be inspired by going to run a 5K race when I, I know I can run 5K, even though I've not done it. Go run a 42K race. Whoa, I have no idea how to do that. Now we've got some, you know, some energy. It's like, whoa, okay. Because that ties into the second principle. And the second organizing principle for me on setting goals is the purpose of setting a goal is not to achieve the goal. Get off that rabbit track. The purpose, the real purpose of setting a goal is to see who do I need to become in order to achieve the goal. Now, I ran um, uh, the Marathon Day Saab uh, uh, a while back, and it's an ultra marathon across the Sahara Desert. You know, you're running a marathon a day pretty much back to back for seven days. Day four is a double marathon, you know, 52 miles, 84 kilometers, one stage. Uh, you're running in 50 degree heat. Yeah, you're carrying 20 kilos on your back. It's in soft sand. It's it's not exactly a, uh, a walk in a park. And I remember getting to the end of that race, and I was seeing people beating themselves up because they didn't get a personal best, or they came out of the side of the top 100, or whatever. It was like, well, who did you have to show up to the race? If you'd have failed halfway, the person you had to become the last two years of training in order to get on the plane is worth celebrating. That's the real, that's what you're taking with you once your blisters heal, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> I know someone that did it, it was the blisters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that having that attitude, having that focus, not like, oh, I'm not good enough unless I go do this. Oh, I, I'm in so much pain. I need to get this in order to be, no, stop focusing on you. Start focusing on what you can do to give your gift to the world as, a, as an example, because you're only one or two things, an example or a warning. 
It's the only two things we get to choose to be. And some people are an example of what not to become, i.e. a warning, but an example of turning things around. You know, I've, I've lost more times than I've won. Yeah, I'm, to me, if I lost everything tomorrow, it'd be a damn good excuse to go again. Four years ago, I came out of prison. I'd been in there for six months in the most violent prison in England, in Pentonville. Had you? Interesting. I've never, never been accused of a crime, never been arrested, still don't have a criminal record. I was in there for contempt of court on a civil matter, arguing a multi-million dollar deal with a multi-billion dollar company that had a ruthless law firm, Mishkondorea, you probably know them. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, and I was on legal aid. It, it's a foregone conclusion. Uh, and I, uh, I served six months, lost my business, lost yeah, my, yeah, but came out third of a million in debt, legal costs, yeah, everything else. I mean, it was a, a train wreck. And I got excited. I've never been that far in the hole before. Okay. Right. I'm really, really interested in this because, and I think this will really help people to listen because I really want to dive into that and what drives you because but I want to touch on your why first, because I totally understand what you mean by having the why power, right? So for me, I am a massive women's health advocate, right? I really, really want women to succeed while in, in basically in their careers and their performance, but also as mothers in raising family and be able to have it all while still embracing their femininity. Femininity. And I tell you, what, what did you say, sorry? I say femininity. I knew where you were going with yeah. that. Embracing the femininity. And I'll tell you why, because when I was a corporate lawyer, it was that typical, I'm a type A personality, fine, I'm, I'm fully open to acknowledging that, but I'm also pretty creative as well. And I like to embrace that, you know, I want the left and the right brain to match up. And I've had to work a little bit harder on the right brain thinking. But what I would say is I had to, you had to almost behave as a man. And this, I, I made partnership when I was eight months pregnant. Nobody cared that, you know, I had hormonal issues. I had a continuous heart rate monitor put on me at home. There were repeated instances when I thought I was going to lose my son and I'm taken to hospital bleeding. It was like, show up the same because we're just ignoring the fact that you're pregnant. And I think that I want to create a different world because I have a daughter now who's 10 for her. And part of that is embracing femininity, right? They used to think about when you talk about women's hormones, this is a slight diversion, but it's relevant. You'll see why. We used to talk, you know, you read, I've been reading books with my daughter and they'll talk about periods as in olden times, not really even that long ago, we're talking less than a hundred years ago, as the curse. This is the thing that allows you to 3D print a tiny human. This is a gift, right? You're afraid of a gift. So I am massively passionate. And as part of that, I've had all kinds of health issues, like insulin resistance in my 20s, PCOS, endometriosis, threats to fertility, clinical depression, all these things that I've had to overcome. And for me, it's like I made a commitment, having been a suicidal at one point, that I was going to show up as the healthiest, most vibrant version of myself and be that mother to my children. And that why, combined, of the impact that I want to make on other people and to my daughter's future and my family and to be there, them as their mum, makes me get out of bed. I don't need to try and, and exercise and eat healthily and get up at 5 a.m. and go to bed on time and do all these things because, as you say, I'm driven by a much bigger purpose. So I don't need motivation to show up to do it because it's bigger than me. However, and I overcame challenges, but what's interesting is sometimes people, I think, and, and I don't want anyone listening to this to feel pressurized to find their why because I think that takes time and it will find you to a degree when you're sort of ready for it as well. But when you are presented with a challenge, and as you know, I've had my own, like you had there, there is the option of you totally, completely denigrating and beating yourself up and not being excited about it because you could have looked at it and gone, what the hell? Oh my God, look at you. You're now, I don't know if you were bankrupt, but you said you'd, like, there was a lot of debt that you had. You nah, it's almost. Almost bankrupt. Okay, close. So you've lost everything. Mm. A lot of people would feel like their confidence gets swept down in the river alongside that. How did you avoid that? Because not everyone comes back from a knockback in that way. So assuming you have this greater driven purpose, and we've talked about that, and you've got step one, how are you overcoming step two, which is actually your own internal mindset of beating you up, which, which a lot of people do struggle with? Great, great question. And uh, and love the, the, the history too. Um, when, when I was in court, it was in the high court in London and uh, it looked like it was going the wrong way. And I learned a lot about the court process. You as a lawyer of all people would understand that, you know, it's uh, the courtroom theater and what 
part of um, uh, the, the legal profession you're in. But yeah, when it comes to litigation, uh, nobody walks into court to lose. Everyone walks into court to win. And if that means yeah, distorting context in order to support your version of content, it's basically a giant debate. And it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're, you're, you're fighting for whatever flag your client wants now to the mast. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, going the wrong way, and I, I was on my own. I, I had a, a, a legal aid barrister who had qualified from the legal school of mutism. And yeah, they had a Silk QC junior barrister, entire team, their own transcriber. They, they spent, you know, you, you get the picture, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, ne- it was oh. never going to go. <laughs> you know? and, and as a mother, I'm sure, you know, you know, a five-year-old can make you look stupid with the right questions. So um, uh, when it looked like it was going south, uh, I turned around to my, uh, my, my partner at the time and uh, says, what's happening? You, you could go away here. Uh, it was never even on radar that was ever going to happen. And I'm like, well, if I do, then there's clearly a reason for it. Uh, no, I'm not talking about you know, right, wrong, courtroom BS. I'm talking about, you know, I spent the last 20 years teaching people how to reinvent themselves and, and have a positive mindset. But maybe the real people that I could help never get to experience that because they're in somewhere like Pentonville. If the universe or whatever you want to call it wants to you know, send me in, go do my work, let me go hold a candle. And at that point, I had to make an identity shift. Because if I walk down the steps... As a prisoner, I was going to go on a pity pot journey of why me and all the usual victim mentality. So I had a, I, I shifted immediately into a different identity because you can't change what's already happened. You can't control what you can't control. Let's let's get over that. Again, the, the, the kind of yeah, beat you up self talk of what if if only is is waste of space. If the milk spilt on the new carpet, the milk spilt on the new carpet. Bitching about it's not going to put it back in the model or clean it up. So I shifted my identity uh, instead of choosing to be a prisoner, even though I was a civil prisoner, I chose to be a secret agent of change. And as a result, I went in and I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that. I mean, I'd, I'd seen it on TV, but you know, to, to actually go in and be thrown in, I wasn't, I wasn't segregated. You know, 1,300 prisoners, I was the only civil prisoner in Pentonville you know, sharing a cell with the group. It was, a, it was a hell of an adventure. But I went in committed to trying to make a difference. And anyway, long story short, I ended up getting a lot of the prisoners off drugs. I was stopping suicides. I redesigned the intake system to reduce violence between the wings. It's now being used in prisons all over the world. Uh, I won a national award for, for the work that I did in there. And every two weeks, I was writing to my senior coaching students, uh, part of my lead mentorship forum. And I was writing by hand, basically telling them what I was doing. So listen, I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, but this is a great case study for me to be able to show you what I've been teaching you guys. And if it works in here, what excuse have you got? And I turned it into an adventure. In fact, the first letter that I wrote, I said, guys, hey, listen, don't worry about me. I'm simply, you know, I teach about being the star of the movie of your own life. I'm just on location for six months filming the prison scene. Uh, this is going to be a, an amazing adventure. And let's go. I'll take you along for the ride. Let's see what happens. And when I came out after six months, I, I'd written 11 letters. And they said they'd learn more from those 11 letters than following me around the world for the last two years on stage. And I should publish them. I'm like, these are private letters. Some of you guys are paying me a lot of money to teach you this kind of stuff before. And yeah, and again, half the people ran for the hills, you know, pressed it a you know, bang up job, you know, did the usual stuff. But I came out, I got nothing. I was a third of a million in debt. I was about to lose my home. Um, I got no business. You know, I went from 50 staff to like three staff in three minutes. Yeah, you know, when, when the judge you know, says you're going away. And I, I thought I got excited about, again, I've never climbed out of a hole that deep before. Just you know, can't go any lower. And, uh, and I published the letters. Uh, I think they uh, just unedited. And this isn't a book I wrote afterwards. This is unfolding in real time. That's what makes it so unique. And I, I think we went uh, bestseller in two hours, Amazon number one in four hours. I think we sold to 40 countries on the first day. Uh, it's won multiple awards now. It's been credited by virtually every top person in personal growth. Um, from Brian Tracy to Johnny Martini to, you know, just like everybody saying it's one of the most powerful books they've ever read on personal growth because it's a real case study. It's, you know, and I, I share everything, my, all the tradecraft, the times I cried, the times I, I, I doubted myself, the times that I, uh, I fished depressed, yeah, the, the, the times where, you know, the, the, the violence, the, you know, all of that stuff, but, and how I was trying to dig deep to use what I'd been learning and teaching on myself to basically get through that. And it's a masterclass of, of you know, what changed the life of pretty much everybody that's read it. If you look at any of the reviews, but uh, yeah, it's we, we get what I call graduation events. Yeah, if you are 
looking to yeah, empower women to be healthy and, and have family as well as career, expect to be challenged a crap out of for that so that you can prove you can walk your talk. If, yeah, if I'm a personal development guy that understands positive psychology and I try to help people, yeah, well, here you go. Here's, you, know, you don't learn to swim on dry land. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's bang him in pen and take everything away from him, see how he shows up. Yeah, did you pass the test or not? And that's, you know, it's not for anyone else to judge. That's for, our, for us and let's call it the, the examiners. Yeah, well, uh, but that's, that, that's when you really start to come to terms with the difference between biological maturity, which we don't get to vote on, you can put on creams, you can like take vitamins. That's, 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 that's going to have some sort of impact. But 20 years from now, you're going to look different to what you looked 20 years ago. That's just part of the rule set. But emotional maturity is a choice. And how we yeah, go through that journey, one of the greatest days in a human being's life is the day they wake up to realize that life is not a comfort-centric experience. It is a growth-centric experience. Yes. You know that being in the gym. You want a better body, yeah, you don't get it on a couch with popcorn. Right. Yeah, you don't get a good ass by sitting on it. Yeah, I mean, I love what the Spartans say, you know, sweat more in training so you bleed less in war. I actually think the more challenges you give yourself, almost the less you're going to be called that are placed on you sort of non-consensually almost, because if you are not growing, you will be sent challenges consistently because, as you say, we're here to grow. And by the end of our life, we need to have done that growth. Uh, and I think I think that's what people don't realize. It's almost that whole thing. You know, another way of saying it is hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Um, yeah, but if but if you're born not understanding that we, we, you know, we're athletes and we're in the gym of life. And if you didn't know that, if you showed up to the gym and you didn't know you're an athlete, and you're looking at this personal trainer that's trying to push you on the treadmill till you throw up, you know, do push-ups until you collapse. You're going you're gonna to look for the, the, the shortcuts. You're going to try to say, okay, how can I just tick the box to do enough reps to get through this without you know, throwing up again? Now, if you walk in, you're an athlete, and you know you're an athlete, and you want the gold medal, if you're not throwing up in 30 minutes, you want your money back. And when it comes to the mentality of a growth-centric life, most people see their problems, their challenges, the stuff that doesn't fit their pictures, everything they're trying to control and, and don't. They, if, if you're looking at life from the perspective of the muscle fiber and you're on that last burning rep, then what do you think? You're sending messages to the brain. Stop. You know, send pain. You know, you're breaking me down here. I'm being killed. Let's, let's go. But if you're the mindset of the athlete, you're proud that you can bust out another two reps of personal best and not lift your arms for two hours, right? Then you walk out with a sense of pride and achievement in growing to become a better version of yourself. And there's so many people that are walking around thinking that life is a comfort-centric experience and bitching about their problems. You know, we know in, in biology, if a, a mammal looks at a situation and perceives it as a threat, it will go weak. If it sees the same situation as a challenge, it'll go strong. Yeah, biochemically, it's just it's fact. And so many people are looking at the the workout in the gym of life, you know, because you were born to get your gold medal, and they see it as a yeah, vindictive, psychotic personal trainer that's trying to upset their day. Yeah, no, I can I I, I completely agree with you. I think I could talk to you for hours, and uh, and unfortunately, uh, we're coming to the end of, of 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 this interview. But I'd love to have you back, uh, Peter. I think there's a lot more. Uh, more to be, be covered here. Um, before we close, I guess one thing that I think would be really interesting for people, if you could share what your daily routine's like, how do you prime yourself for success? What do you do in the morning? And I guess really importantly, I find is you're never going to have a good morning if you haven't got an evening routine. I, I learned that some time ago that you'll never, everyone focuses on my morning routine, but you had to set yourself up the night before. Set so yourself up to win. I'd love to hear about your priming activities and what you do. Yeah. So again, I've had a, a very disciplined morning routine for over 20 years. It's, it's a foundation. In prison, nobody gets up early unless they have to. Yeah. I was up doing my morning routine, doing my meditation, doing my journaling. I mean, to be fair, it wasn't much else to do. But you know, I would um, I, I would get up and force myself to still have that level of discipline because I wasn't going to backslide. Um, but yeah, like this morning, for example, I actually had a lion. I was up at five. Uh, yesterday, I was up at four thirty. Uh, but I've, I'm, if if I do run late on an even because I run an international now, yeah, um, yeah, eight figure moving to nine figure business. I mean, not about bounce back from from where I was. 
And yeah, yeah, I've got teams in Australia, we've got 86 staff now. It's like, uh, there's teams all, all over. So sometimes on certain days I have to do later stuff and I like to get six hours if I can. And so for me, if it's, if it has eaten into it, I won't say, Oh, that's it. I'm not getting up at four. Yeah. I'll get up at five, even get up at six. If, if I, if I still need that six hours, but, um, I get up early. Six hours is your non-negotiable, basically. Six six hours. Anything less than that, consistently, you start borrowing cortisol, raising your cortisol baseline, and yeah, it's it's not ideal. So um, I don't want it to be enjoyable. I don't want it to be. I don't. You know, I'm, I'm 50 years old now. I I want my uh, biology to also set up to win again. We're not we're not 25. Yeah, peak levels of DHA testosterone. It's it's, it's just part of the rule set now. For 50 years old, I'm I'm in pretty good shape. Yeah, I could more or less run a marathon tomorrow if I need to. But when it comes to uh, routine, sleep is an underrated factor by a lot of the population. So, you know, I try to prioritize that. Um, and I think you actually, because I think when I look a lot at people's DNA and genetics, and I think there are a small, I'm the same as you, a subsection of the population that actually can do very well and even thrive on less than seven hours sleep. I think once you start going below six and you head to five, it's a tricky area and the research shows that actually you're really compromising your health potentially. Um, but there are people who can cope very well on that sort of six hours. Um, there's most of the population needs between seven and nine. And I would say to people, if you need seven, prioritize seven, right? Because you'll be, you'll be a much better peak yeah. performer if you've had what you need. And I think yeah. that's important. I agree. I think sleep's so important. Yeah. So, so it's a morning routine. Um, I've got a meditation room in my home. Uh, so I, or, and if you haven't got a room, have a space, just have something where that's the energy of where you go to, to do your practice. And I'll, I'll read in the morning. It's, it's always more spiritual based. Yeah. We're not reading fiction, Jack Reach or Star Wars at that point. You know, it, it'll be a, a spiritual based text. Um, I, I love a lot of David Hawkins, uh, James Hollis, um, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I'll meditate. Uh, I'll either do passive meditation where I'm just basically tuning out all of the, uh, physical and mental data, or I'll do active meditation where I'm, I'm getting to kind of a four hertz brainwave state point consciousness. And from there, I'll influence future probability based upon you know, visualization and, and emotional connection. Um, then I'll, I'll hit the gym. I'll go to the gym in my home. Uh, and then I'll have my, my juice, uh, ginger shots and, and so on. Uh, and morning routine is, is huge. And then I'll get into my, my office where I'm at now. Um, and I will have a, focus in the morning. I'm, I'm a battery and I, I, I wake up fully charged and I, I, I wind down at night. Some people are night owls. I'm not. Yeah. So I, I crash at night. Uh, yeah, I play full out and, and I, I tend to, you know, my best works in the morning. So as a business owner, I prioritize my revenue generation tasks, you know, in the morning, yeah, where can I use the best of my gift as the chief inspiration officer for the business? to, to go and you know, create and put, put my best work in. I don't want to be recording videos or social media at five, 6 PM in the evening. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a bit different energy. Now you talk about setting yourself up to win the night before, um, everything's laid out. So if I'm getting up early and I am a little struggling because yeah, let's just say for whatever reason I was in yeah, a Delta phase and I have a light alarm. I don't have a noise alarm to jar me up. I have a light alarm that, that it brings me up, which works very quickly. Total blackout at night and, and slightest little light alarm, it'll bring me up. So uh, let's just say it pulls me out of a delta sleep phase. And at that point, I'm, I'm a little bit, whoa. So I don't want to walk down and have to use critical thinking. I don't want to get into beta brainwaves. I need to stay in alpha uh, when I'm doing my practice and, and theta when I'm, I'm doing my visualization. So for me, uh, everything's set up. My gym kit's there on the floor, ready for me to step into yeah, my, yeah, my, my water and yeah, hydration and supplements are, are ready the night before to, to lay me out. My top six for what I need to do in the morning is already ready. Right? It's prioritized when I've had energy the day before to reclassify what I need to do. So the less thinking I can do in the early phases, because you say thinking takes energy and uh, you'll come up with an excuse. The mind's job is to justify your current behavior to be in alignment with your current emotional state. If you're tired, it'll give you the exact reason why you should press the snooze button. It's designed to. If you're angry, it'll tell you exactly why you shouldn't apologize. It's designed to. But once you realize that, you can preempt it and then do the thing that you want in the mood you set it in to set yourself up for when you're not going to be in the mood. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. I love it. It's very similar to mine. I guess one question I'd have in relation to it, because uh, I was having this conversation uh, with, with a sleep scientist recently, 
um, is I'm the same as you. I'm such a morning person. I'm fully charged. Don't need caffeine. I love coffee and I have it in the morning, but I don't need to. I'd do just as well if I had minerals, which I've been taking recently. Uh, it's this watermelon salt drink that I'm drinking. But um, are you ever tempted? Because this is the bit. Are you ever tempted to forego the morning routine and crack on with work to get ahead of the day? Or will you always religiously, no matter how much pressure you're under, prioritize that self uh, hour of your like, hour of power? Of, of course you're tempted. It's part of who we are as an, as a, you know, an alpha type A to, to want to go and hustle. So the, the analogy that I give is if you're a pilot, you know, I lived in Dubai for, for several years, you know, Emirates, best airline in the world. And if you know, I was a pilot for Emirates, I may, and I love, I became a pilot because I'm passionate about flying. I love flying. Nothing excites me more. But I have to have a briefing before every flight. Now, I'm not allowed to walk on that flight until I know who my crew is, what my passenger count is, what the weather forecast is, what the, you know, all of the different aspects that go in. I've got to do my briefing. If I'm an opera singer, I don't, because I love to sing, I don't go on stage and sing. I need to do my vocal exercises and warm up first. If I'm an athlete, I need to stretch before I hit the track. So if you are a holistic human being, go and nourish the, the, the body, the soul, the mind, get a foundation for that because, uh, Finishing on the acting metaphor, you could show up on set without rehearsal. It's not going to be a better movie. You may think that I'm just going to get through these scenes. No, 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 no. Go do the rehearsal. Go do the walkthrough. Go do the, you know, the, the, the discussion with the director. Then get on set and things will flow better. But yeah, if you think, I just want to get out there and hustle, you're falling back into the by me category rather than understanding that it's a lot more effortless in the through me category and let the universe do the heavy lifting for you. I couldn't agree more. And I think the, the morning routine is the thing that actually is one of the most empowering, probably the most empowering thing I do. When do you work out? Is that part of that morning? You've got your morning. running shoes laid out. Is it Again, straight energy. after your meditation and... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's energy. I'm, I'm, I'm not an evening kind of workout guy, depending on, on what my, my structure is. But um, yeah, no, this morning, for example, uh, I was in my, my gym here at 8am. Uh, I, was, I was scheduled to do an hour of weights, but because I got a lot of filming schedule today, uh, I put an intense 30 minute workout together instead. But I was like, you got to sweat. I was like, I mean, you're not going to cheat yourself. I'm, you know, you, you go tell an Olympic or Olympian that's going for gold, hey, I've got a way you can cheat on your workout. They're going to look at you and say, get out of here. That's, that's not the game. I'm not trying to look for excuses, but I will be practical because you know, I've got 80 plus people who's you know, paying their mortgage relies on decisions I make. So you know, I, I need to make sure that I factor in a lot of different things. And if that means getting up a little earlier tomorrow, because I go about a little you know, uh, uh, earlier tonight so that I can have longer training tomorrow if I feel that's required, I'll make the call. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And you prioritize all your work in the morning. Have you found that with productivity, because I've, I've tried to slice and dice this multiple ways. From my perspective, I find in terms of creativity and really strong output, we probably have about four to five hours in any one day. Yeah, I, I'd say that early. And I, I try to structure block time. Yeah, I mean, I, I Mondays and Tuesdays are, are kind of my crazy days because I, I have all of my management meetings, my team meetings, my my different aspects of the, the, the business. We, we're growing at a phenomenal rate, and there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, you know, the, the fact that we grew 10x last year, the fact that we're still alive and breathing, I'm impressed. Uh, you know, but that's uh, that's because not because I'm smart or special. I'm just gifted at being able to you know, hire people that are better than me at, at, at what they do. And but I. I know that Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm, I'm kind of a Zoom zombie, uh, just managing different parts and, and putting in input and reviews and KPI reports, et cetera. Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, zero um, uh, meetings. In fact, the fact that you know we're, we're recording this on a Friday is rare. Uh, I, I allowed that one to come in. I feel but, honored. <laughs> uh, well, I, I wanted to contribute. But no meetings today, yesterday, Wednesdays, because Wednesdays I do all my catch up for my own stuff in terms of the business rather than attending meetings, et cetera, and, and direction and, and leadership management. And Thursdays are for filming. And, uh, and Fridays, anything that's left over out of, out of that for me to, to, to polish up and work on the business rather than in it. Yeah, amazing. Love it. 
Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and contributing today uh, on, on Friday. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Please share. Where can people come and find you? I know you have an amazing webinar that people can watch as well. Um, please share. Are you are you on different social? I'll, I'll put something in the show notes. I mean, you can you can find me on yeah the socials, Instagram, uh, Peter Sage 007. Uh, if you. <laughs> I love it. Peter yeah. Sage 007. Yeah, we'll see. And the book I mentioned, by the way, it's called The Inside Track. And uh, you can, it's $24.95 on Amazon. But uh, what I do for, for your tribe, especially, Angela, I'll put a special link in there whereby if they want to get a copy of that, then I'll send them a free copy. Give me 10 bucks, cover the shipping, because I'll send you a physical copy. It actually cost me about 12, 15 bucks to have it printed, have it yeah, stored in the warehouse, have it picked, have it shipped yeah, locally or internationally. Uh, and so we're actually got a, a whole series of books set aside right now that because it's had such an impact, I'm, I'm giving back. So there's got to be some level of exchange, otherwise you don't pay, you don't pay attention. So chip in for 10 bucks and I'll send your tribe a, a book and we'll put a, a link into the show notes on there as well. Amazing. Um, on that. And I'm um, getting a copy for myself, I think. Yeah, well, I'd, uh, I'd love to send you one. So, um, yeah, after this, we'll, we'll swap details on that. But yeah, no, other than that, I, it'd be a pleasure. I'm putting as much stuff out on social as I can to try to help people uh, as you are. And yeah, I'm just grateful they've given us our time today. Amazing, amazing, amazing. We'll link to all of that. Thank you so much, Peter. Really, really enjoyed it. Honours mine. Stay amazing. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, the show notes will be over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast, and you can download the transcript there together with the show notes and all of the other resources that I have on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.